Good, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's about 9.31, so we can, uh, we can get started here. My name is uh, Mercury. I am one of the, one of the elders here at, uh, at Del Rey. And um, my wife, Andrea, is there in the back. And I know our kids are running around here somewhere. Um, first, I'd like to um, just uh, thank uh, John Henderson for helping out uh, with this, as well as Martin Lloyd-Jones and uh, Sinclair Ferguson. So I don't know if John appreciates being mentioned in, in those, with those <laughs> giants of the faith. <laughs> right. And, and also, uh, thank you to Andre, who was uh, helping uh, with a little bit of editing, kind of took me back to our, our college days, um, which was uh, very uh, sweet of her. So I will um, open us in prayer, and then we'll begin our uh, lesson on uh, faith and repentance. Uh, so let's, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we... We thank you this morning uh, for such a beautiful day. Uh, we are blessed uh, to know that you uh, care about the intimate details of, of life in this world, and uh, you are uh, so kind to uh, give us uh, your spirit, uh, those of us who belong to you, uh, to, to comfort and guide us. Uh, at this time, we ask that you would Allow us to, to uh, know you better, uh, to, to hear what your scriptures say about faith and repentance and how they are important uh, in our lives. Please give us wisdom, give us hearts to hear, give us minds and uh, conviction to uh, be moved, uh, to live uh, differently uh, today and tomorrow in the days to come. We praise you and give you glory on the authority of your son, Jesus. We ask all of this. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, this topic today is, is faith and repentance. And uh, in, in the uh, last few weeks or so, I know there have been discussions about and lessons about regeneration and how all that occurs. And so... What we want to endeavor to do today is to talk about faith and repentance with the premise and understanding that regeneration is making the dead man alive. So if we can kind of have that starting point in knowing that regeneration is making the dead man alive, then it will help us to have a better framework of, of faith and repentance. And I, I'm and thinking about the foundations uh, and the overall topic of it. It's the foundations of what? It was the foundations of, uh, of salvation and what it is to um, have eternal life. And so I know that there may be some uh, in the class today that uh, may not be saved. Um, and so if you are uh, in, that, in that group, um, I'd encourage you to, to, to hear uh, what um, is in the scriptures about uh, about salvation, and, you know, faith and repentance are certainly core uh, to that. And if you know during this lesson and even later, if you uh, in your heart you feel uh, uh, convicted and you have questions, there are people who can help answer those questions uh, for you. But certainly, um, if you hear in your heart um, 
you know, something going on, respond to that because that is the work of, of the Spirit and um, prayerfully regeneration occurring in you. So I'm going to start with uh, the topic of, uh, of faith and repentance, and, and there's an outline in the back if you don't uh, have that with you uh, right now. And in the back, can you hear me okay? I know I can. Okay, good. All right, so our main idea uh, for this morning is that faith and repentance are foundational to anyone being right with God. And when we talk about being right with God, it's the starting point of knowing that we are separated from God because of sin and our sin problem. So faith and repentance are foundational to anyone being right with God or being reconciled to him. They're both essential to one being saved from the wrath to come. So there is a wrath to come. So we are happy and joyful, those who are in Christ, that we will one day fellowship with him. We'll see uh, our, our Savior. We'll see Christ. Uh, we will have eternity in heaven. And those are all the good side of, of, of the coin. But there is a wrath to come. There's another side to that. And, it, and if, if one is not uh, in a right relationship with God, then there is a wrath to come. So this main idea that we want to grasp is that faith and repentance are essential to being saved from the wrath to come. So our first point here uh, is about faith and repentance as they are essential components to a person's uh, salvation. If we look at Hebrews 11.6, um, it will, it will kind of get us going in this, in this area. And we're going to talk about a few other passages too. So there's also Acts 2.38 and Ephesians 2.8 and 9. So if someone would like to grab uh, Hebrews 11.6 and read that, uh, that would help us out uh, tremendously. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Right, so we see here that without faith it is not possible. It is impossible to please God. And so whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So that is a good uh, place for us to begin. Does someone have Acts 2.38? Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right, so here we see there is a, a command, or there's an expression that is given saying, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and then for the forgiveness of your sins. So we see in Hebrews, it's not possible to please God without faith. And we also see in Acts, there's a, there's a command or an expression to repent. So you have, you have faith and repentance both being uh, necessary for us to be right with the Lord. So with this basic understanding of the topic of faith and repentance, we see that uh, some theologians in the past and in present, Sinclair Ferguson's one of them, instructs us that these are two doctrines that cannot be separated. And when a person experiences regeneration, that experience involves both faith and repentance. If we really believe in Christ, it, is, it, it must be with much contrition and remorse. So think about 
when, you know, those of you who are, who are saved today, think about when Christ revealed himself to you, there was a measure of contrition. There was a me- measure of remorse that, that accompanied to that. So our repentance of sin must be within the context of faith and believing. These two responses to the grace of God are not only joined together at the beginning of our journey, they remain inseparable throughout the whole life of the believer. So I think we can all attest to the, to the fact that at various moments we've had like really giant-like faith and we're like, oh yeah, we, and then like probably the very next day we're like crawling around like a wimp, like, oh, I can't even, you know, make it to the next moment. So it's, it's a journey of having different measures of faith at different moments and also repentance. It's not like we repented that one moment in time and said, okay, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm a horrible sinner. Okay, he forgives us. The weight's gone, and then like for the next like 20 years, you don't need to repent. You know, obviously, you know, we are fallen people, and so we are sinners saved by grace. And so because of that, we know that we are constantly on our face before the Father, asking for forgiveness as he is refining us, renewing us, sanctifying us, drawing us to him, making us more like his son. So just as we continue to trust and have faith in Christ as our Savior and Lord, we continue in a life of repentance. Now, there are some theologians, and I'm going to spend a little time on this, but not much, who attempt to determine which comes first. I know we like to kind of do that sometimes. Faith or repentance, or even if they appear together in the life of the believer at the same time. Now, there are three legitimate safe positions to take. One of them um, is that faith must precede repentance. And so one theologian, um, W.G.T. Shedd, I've never heard of him, but if you all have, praise the Lord. Um, He says that uh, through faith and repentance are inseparable and simultaneous, yet in, in the order of nature, faith precedes repentance. So he is saying that faith comes first, then repentance. So kind of think about that for a moment. Okay, so you have the regenerated person, and then faith, and then repentance. So that's, that's where he kind of lands there. Um, and he also says that, uh, he says, if rep- repentance were to precede faith, then both faith, repentance and faith would be legal in character, kind of making it a work. I think that's what he's, that's what he's saying. Second, Louis Burkhoff, I think we've heard of him, appears to have taken a reverse position. There is no doubt that logically repentance and the knowledge of sin repeat, uh, precedes faith that yields to Christ in trusting love. So you got the other side of the equation. And then a third theologian, John Murray, insisted that the issues, uh, issue raises an unnecessary question and the instance that one is prior to the other is futile. There is no priority. The faith that is unto salvation is a penitent faith, and the repentance that is unto life is a believing repentance. So saving faith is permeated with repentance, and repentance is permeated with saving faith. So I'm not quite sure where you all may fall on this a continuum. I tend to agree more with John Murray that, hey, you know, I don't think it really matters that much. In fact, it's important to note that Scripture doesn't really tell us which one comes first. So if you're interested in that topic, maybe you can give 
John Henderson a call. He can uh, probably <laughs> answer that for you. But um, you know, it's but it, but importantly, you know, uh, th there's there are two main facts that we probably should hold on to, and they're in Scripture. Uh, the first is, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's Hebrews 11:6. I think we co covered that. And faith is a gift from God, Ephesians 2:8-9. So anyone who has faith has no right to boast in the faith they have in Christ. So 8-9 of Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And the second big fact is, no one can be a Christian without repentance. And that is Acts 2:38. And I think we covered that already. All right, so now we're going to get into point uh, one here that I mentioned earlier. Expressions of um, faith are foundational throughout the scriptures. Um, that is our first part there. I think in your outline it may read, faith and repentance are essential components to a person's salvation. So Hebrews 11, we covered that. We covered um, Acts 2, and we covered Ephesians 2. Those are kind of foundational, kind of launching us off uh, into this journey. It is clear that people uh, had faith in the one true and living God in both the Old and New Testament. So this is not a new uh, concept that is, uh, um, is, is for today, and all of a sudden there's faith here in our contemporary day. But uh, as many of you in the room probably know, um, Hebrews 11 has a really good roadmap for us with regard to Old Testament saints who had faith. So um, just kind of think about uh, that for a moment. And then in Romans, Paul uses Habakkuk 2.4 to teach the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Habakkuk 2.4 reads, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him but the righteous shall live by faith. So we have this concept in the Old Testament of faith and faith being what is necessary and important uh, to please God. Uh, one passage we're going to look at here is Genesis 15:6, And if someone could uh, take a look at that uh, for us, uh, that, would, that would be very helpful. Yes, and so th that he would be Abraham. This is one of the uh, passages of scriptures that is very helpful with the topic of justification by faith alone. Abraham is one of the Old Testament examples of a believer whose faith was clearly linked to his justification before the Lord. So the Old Testament often expresses the idea of faith through language like trust and obey. So now we're going to look at a few passages um, in, the, in the Psalms that kind of help us along with that. We have the idea that Abraham believed it was counted for him to righteousness. So let's look at a few uh, passages in the Psalms to kind of also help us with that. Uh, I have Psalm 4, 5, if someone wants to take a look at that. Psalm 9, 10. Psalm 22, 4. Psalm 25.2. And uh, if you all can remember, I know it's not in the notes, but um, I have them in mind. If anyone wants to start with Psalm 4, if they have that. Psalm Offer 4. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Right. So we see here 
offer right sacrifices and put your trust or your faith or your belief or your hope in the Lord. <coughs> Let's look at Psalm 9:10. if someone has that. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O oh Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So we see again, those who know your name put their trust, their hope, their faith in you. Let's look at Psalm 22:4. So again, we see that same, that same word, uh, trusted, and you are fathers trusted, and they trusted, and you deliver them. And Psalm 25, 2. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Yes, so we see here again, oh my God, in you I trust. And then there's a hope even, let me not be put to shame. So this trust is in a hope of something that, is future. And so that is the part that we're looking at when we're talking about uh, a faith that pleases the Lord. So the, ob- the object of faith, as expressed in the Old Testament, is the promise of God, which was realized and fulfilled in the first advent or the first coming of Christ 2,000 years ago. So just as their faith looked forward then, so imagine an Old Testament saint looking forward to the Messiah that was to come, our faith now actually looks backwards to Christ, who was a realization of their faith then, but we also have a faith that now still looks forward to a Christ that is to come. Right? So, we, so we, have, we have this faith that is similar to theirs because they looked forward, and we also look forward. So we see in Scripture the faith of Noah, the faith of Abel, the faith of Enoch, the faith of Abraham, as well as the faith of Stephen, the faith of John the Baptist, the faith of Paul and Timothy and others. So we have faith in the Old Testament, and we have faith uh, in the New Testament. The ultimate expression of faith is biblical love, and that's found, we see, in in Galatians 5.6. In Galatians 5.6, it reads, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So love is the aim of our teaching, it's the aim of our lives, it's the, it's the aim of our everyday just interaction with others. It's the sign we are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and the true outcome of our sincere faith, which we also find in 1 Timothy 1.5, which reads, the aim of our ch- charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So that's the beginnings here of uh, where we want to kind of think about faith and repentance. Does anyone have any questions about this first part? All right. Yes. Brief comment, but on the whole repentance and faith, mm-hmm. because yeah. it's been often said that repentance and faith are really different sides of the same coin. Yes. Yes. Really good way to kind of think through it. You can't have one without the others. And right. And then just the idea, yeah. as you share, that faith and repentance are gifts. So, you know, we yes. see that both in Ephesians 2, but then in Acts 11, when Peter gives the report of how the Gentiles believed, and at the end they just say, you know, they, they fell silent, they glorified God, and they said, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance. That yeah, amen. So those are the key things. How can the Lord Absolutely. Yes, yes and amen. Yes, absolutely. Yes. What, what, what helped me 
want to, the repentance part is that, and when I was reading in an amplified Bible, it says repentance means to turn away. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know that when, when I became a believer, it's, I am now just within myself. I turn away from things that used to be pleasing. Yeah. Um, be it music or mm-hmm. anything. It's right. and, and that to me is from faith. Right. So that's how I look at them married together. So. I say yes and amen to that as well. I mean, <laughs> yes, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Every time I see yeah. the word repent, I go, turn away. Right. And that's what I think in my mind. Confession. Yes. It's not just confession of your sins. It's that you are turning away from them, and I think that's the gift. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Any other questions or? No? Okay. All right, so this, the second, second part here is to please God, a person must have faith. A person must have faith. So, so in, in, in talking about this, uh, let's kind of dive into what is, what is faith. Um, so the definition of the word faith is found in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Someone want to, uh, to grab that for us. And when, when you do, just uh, start, start reading that. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. All right. So we have a definition. So now we know what it is based on what the scriptures say. It is described as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith gives Christians assurance and confidence and something that is expected to be realized in the future. The confidence that faith brings is saturated in a hope in what is expected in the future. This assurance and hope gives the Christian a conviction of a blessed future which has not yet been seen. So this next uh, part here, uh, let's talk about knowledge because that is uh, also important because it's not just a faith uh, and, and something that is not factual or, or real. It's, it's, it's a faith uh, based on knowledge as well. So the faith that the Christian possesses is a faith that is dependent on what can be known about God. In our day, faith involves us c- coming to a knowledge of God himself. So Jesus prays this way in John seventeen three, that eternal life is that we know the Father and the Son, he, he states, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We see in John 1.18 that the Son has made the Father known to us, to his people. 1.18 reads, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Okay, then we also see in Matthew 11.27, that the Son chooses to reveal the Father to us. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So all trust is ultimately dependent on knowledge, and this knowledge that Christ gives us about the Father provides us with the ability to have immediate contact with God himself. Think about that. So the knowledge that God gives us about himself, when he reveals himself to us, we're able to pray with the Father. We're able to 
live our lives full of the Holy Spirit who's with us, we're able to have immediate contact with our glorious Lord. There is nothing greater in life than for a person to know God and this is made possible uh, to us by faith. So if we have faith, then we can know the God who loves us. The second part here I want to talk about is assent. And assent is the expression of approval or agreement. Believing in Christ means accepting the truth about him and coming to know him. The power of the Holy Spirit is so great that there is a sense that many people come to believe in Christ, even if it appears as though they do not want to believe. So think about that. Like Saul of Tarsus, right? He's an example of such a case in Scripture. We also see in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, that all of us rejected Christ until he made us alive in him. So if we consider verses 1 through 9, and you all are probably familiar with these passages, but I'll just pick out a few verses here. So in verse 1 of Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2 says, you want, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, following the, the prince of the power of the air. So we walked in a way that was contrary to the Lord. We walked in a way that was just, it was dead. We were dead men walking, and that was what we enjoyed as fallen people. And so God, like, holy, he, in a holy way, he interrupts us, in a divine interruption, I would say, and makes himself known to us, and that's how we are, are drawn to him. So we see that having faith that assents or accepts and agrees with this evidence, which is so compelling, is essential in that faith being effective for salvation. Faith is more than assent, though, however, but it is never less than assent. So it is always more, but never, never less than that. The faith that Thomas had in the risen Christ was more than assent or acceptance of the facts that he literally put his hands in the, uh, the, the nail scar hands of Christ and the, and the, the spear uh, pierces in, in, in Christ's side. I mean, he cries out, my, my Lord and my God, in John 20, 27, and 28. So then there's a trust in Christ. The heart of, this, of saving faith is trusting in Christ. Jesus instructs us uh, to trust in him when he says, Come to me, and I will give you rest. And in me you will find rest for your souls. That is Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. And then we see here, to have faith in Christ is to abide in him, according to John 15, verses 4 through 11. Having faith in Christ also means receiving him according to John 1.12. And I'll read that one. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So this type of trust is a costly thing because it involves Christians surrendering all of our lives to Jesus. This is why in Matthew, Mark, Luke, we see in those Gospels that we are to follow him and carry our cross. This means that faith involves recognizing that Jesus is the Lord and King of our lives. It means giving up everything for him. It means completely turning our way and going toward his way. Now, Moses is an excellent example of this. If you're not familiar with the story of Moses, it's really phenomenal. In Hebrews 11:23. 
through 28, it kind of explains actually in a condensed version of, you know, of what he actually gave up. Does someone have that? Maybe we can read that and talk about that briefly. It's, it's Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 28. This is a really good story of, of someone giving up uh, the world for Christ. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is that is that is just wow. I mean, <laughs> I mean, look at you know verse verse twenty four. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse twenty five, choosing rather to be mistreated with with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And then verse twenty seven it says, by faith he left Egypt. Twenty eight, by faith he kept the Passover. So think about this. I mean, he gave up position, wealth, status, power, and ease of life to follow our God. It meant a commitment to a people who would constantly suffer and him accepting horrible treatment with them and at times from them, if you know this, the story of, of his journey with, with them, uh, instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin. What in the world would motivate any person to abandon what he had to live a life of faith in God instead of having that life? Well, I would submit to you that it is the value of ultimately having Christ as his king, is ultimately knowing that the, the, the God that he served that was revealed to him was infinitely greater than the momentary anything that he would have within his hands that he could touch or see. Um, so he considered the pains of this temporary life as a follower of, of God worth it to have the eternal reward as we see in Hebrews eleven twenty six. Yeah, I think it's a good place to just point out that just the unity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, everybody in that Hebrews 11 is obviously someone who's under the old covenant mm-hmm. who by faith is looking forward to the, the one who would come. So Moses right. wouldn't have known Jesus by name, but he knew right. about the promised one who, who would come. I think that helps to answer one of those questions about how is, how, is, how are people in the Old Testament saved? It's always right. saved by grace, through faith, in the one who, who would come. Yes. Yeah, yes and amen. Absolutely. Um, so we're, we're saved by faith. Faith is instrumental by, uh, by which, um, is the instrument by which all salvation that is in Christ Jesus enters us and is appropriated. Um, believers in Christ uh, are saved through faith. It is when one believes in Christ so much that they trust in him so much that they call upon God in the manner that is written in Romans 10, verses 13 through 17. And I'll just read 13 and 17 real quickly. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone 
everyone who calls will be saved. I mean, that's pretty emphatic. And then in verse 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, right? So this is saving faith, a faith that believes in Christ uh, that comes from hearing the word word of Christ. This is more than an intellectual agreement, right? So there are many people who may grasp and understand the intellectual concepts of the scriptures. However, it goes beyond intellectual agreement to trust and commitment. Mark, yes. Did you see yes. in the Old Testament how often lack of faith was called unbelief? Oh, yes. You know, so the, the whole generation that's going to die in the wilderness, as Paul's going to say, and they die, they perish because of unbelief. Yes. And, you know, God says, I'm going to take you in the land, drive out all these Canaanites, the spies go in, they come back, only Caleb and Joshua say, hey, God, yeah, they're huge, but God will do this. Right. And Ten said, yeah, no, they're too big for us. And it was that unbelief. Right. Yes. So we're going to look here at a variety of faith, and I think it's um, number two is two C on your handout, handout on, the, on the first page. Uh, it is important to remember that even though all Christians have received the Holy Spirit as a gift from God, and this is according to Ephesians two eight nine, which leads us to salvation, we all have faith in varying degrees, right? So we're going to look at a few passages here. If someone could uh, take Mark 9.24 and then someone else, Luke 8.48. And just start reading uh, Mark 9 when you have that one. Yes, yes. So I think we all can identify, those of us who are in Christ, can identify with moments where, you know, we may despair and we may look at our surroundings, our circumstances, our situation, and just throw up our hands and say, I have no idea how this is going to turn out well. And we say, Lord, I believe in you, but help me. You know, I mean, and, and, and we all, I think, have experienced that. And then contrasting with Luke 8.48, if someone has that. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Right. So we see that this, this daughter, <coughs> this, uh, this, she has a faith that is strong in this moment. So this is why, this is why we, we need to constantly be in fellowship with other Christians. Through, through our church family here at Delray, we have the blessing of, of discipling other bro- brothers and sisters in Christ and being discipled by brothers and sisters in Christ as well. So we should be pouring into, and someone should be pouring into us. God certainly is the one who ultimately increases our faith in him. However, he has chosen imperfect people even as Christians, we are flawed to strengthen his own. So just, just consider that. And as we look at degrees of, of faith here, there are eight that I have listed, and I'm quite sure there are probably more than just eight. But I just listed eight here, um, and we'll talk about them. Little faith, great faith, strong, growing, sincere, sound, full, assur- full assurance of faith, 
and shipwreck faith. So the New Testament contains these examples. Uh, we have um, Matthew 6, 30. We see, uh, but if God so clothe the, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? We know that passage well. He's, Christ is trying to make a point here that we should have more faith than what we have at times. Then there's great faith. Uh, Matthew 8.10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So we see great faith, strong faith in Romans 4, uh, 19 and 20 and 21. Uh, it says here, uh, he did not weaken in faith, and let's talk about Abraham, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And I find it interesting here, just kind of a sidebar, because in our personal devotion at home, we're actually in Genesis, just running through 15, 16, 17. And it's interesting because in Genesis 15, we see that Abraham believed and it was counted to him righteousness. Then in 16, we see that Sarah and Abraham have a kind of a conversation about, well, maybe Hagar should help out in this, in this process. So we, so we see that there's an example of he has this faith unto, unto uh, um, being right with God. Then we see in 16, he's kind of like, well, maybe I can do something a little. And then in 17, then God comes back to him and says, I'm going to make you <laughs> a father of many nations. So it, it's very interesting that even someone like Abraham, you kind of see this, this tremendous faith unto salvation, but then it kind of does this, and then, he, and then God you know, kind of grabs him back there. But I just thought that was just pretty interesting, I thought. What do you think? You thought it was pretty interesting at home? Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Don't say no. <laughs> yes. I have a quick question. So Mark, after they, Jesus feeds, does mass feedings and other miracles when they're right. on the boat and they're, they're like, we only have a little bit of bread. And Jesus is like, you do not understand. So is, when I read that, I think is, is the difference between little faith and strong faith understanding of some sort or... I'll look at the disciples here having little faith, like they've seen all the miracles that Jesus just performed, right. especially with food, and then when they get on the boat, they just have bread, you know, a small piece of faith. Right. Yeah, I'm going to take a stab, and then if someone wants to help out with this, I'm going to say that um, when he's talking about little faith, I, th I think as I read that, he's talking about there's, there's a, a measure of knowledge and understanding of what God has said he would do, and how he has revealed himself at that point, and still kind of shrinking back and not having the faith to believe what he said he would do. Uh, that's kind of just in a broader sense. I don't know if anybody wants to go kind of deeper than I just went. I don't mean to take away from knowledge, mm -hmm. but I think I've always felt that great faith, if you mm -hmm. call it that, is almost childlike faith. It's blind. It's, right. it's irrespective of your circumstances. Right. It's just absolute, unconditional faith in God, no matter how you're experiencing life or what's happening to you. Right. That's the way I always felt. I think it's like childlike in a way. Right. But I don't mean to take away from the knowledge of God. We are to understand God. Right. 
fight. I would, yeah, I would agree. I would, I would say it also is informed by experience with God coming when God's there for you. Yeah. When God saves you, you have to go back and remember those times and those things because we're, we have so many things that drag us into this world. Right. You know, feeling our five senses, all of those icky things that drag you back into this world and you forget what God has already done for you. I have on the wall in my house. Yeah. You know, being something that Derek said, the intent to remember what God has done for you. It was in a Bible study. And it, it is absolutely what I have to focus on because he's done so much in my life. I just have to focus on it. So I think that that experience informs and deepens your faith when you remember right. it. Right. Yes. And, and I think that's, that's tied to what John's question was. So and it seems that the disciples had seen Jesus do things and it was supposed to produce a trust right. and they they aren't connecting those dots all the time. So right. he's like, are you not remembering what I've done? Are you not understanding what I've done? It's supposed to produce a, a, a trust and there's there seems to be a disconnect for them, which is oftentimes what you know, some of the, the weaker faith. Right, right. And, and I think kind of going back to the childlike faith that you're talking about, I can think of it's like some examples. For example, um, there was one moment where I know my wife will probably remember this, where one of our sons ran out into uh, the street, and she, you know, she, I don't know, she said something to him, but she actually had to grab him <laughs> before before the car, um, you know. And so I think, but then and then to contrast that, there are moments where you just kind of tell your son who runs out, stop, you know, don't go out there, you know. And so I think. There's a, there's a trust that where, okay, dad has said, I shouldn't do this. I have some information, but I don't have complete information. And there's like this, okay, well, I, do I have faith enough to trust that I should stop and not run into the street or, or not? I, I don't think it's void of knowledge because it's not like dad has never said that before or mom has never said that before. So I think there's, I think there's some measure of knowledge, but... Does that faith do I trust enough to, to do that? Does that does that help at all? I would think that trust comes from complete understanding. Mm-hmm. Like not, I don't know if knowledge and understanding are necessarily synonymous in, in this context. Because mm-hmm. you could say we we know everything there is to know about God, or you can just have complete understanding of the, the gospel implications in your life. So if I completely a child completely understands that you love them. They, they don't know everything about cars and roads, right. but they just understand their dad said to stop. Right. I mean, yeah, I agree with that. Understanding and strong faith, I just see them as going together, maybe not necessarily with knowledge, though. I don't know if that makes sense. I, I, think, I, I think I get that. I follow that. Yeah. Right. And so then we also have um, growing faith. And that's found in 2 Thessalonians uh, 1.3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. We see sincere faith in 2 Timothy 1.5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. It's a sincere faith that, that, that he had. Uh, sound faith, found in Titus 1.13. Uh, this testimony is true. Uh, therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be f- sound in faith. 
And then we see full assurance of faith in Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water and shipwreck faith. Right. We can we can have shipwreck faith. Right. First Timothy uh, 1, 19 and, and 20, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. So the presence of faith in the life of the Christian does not produce carbon copy Christians, right? We're not, you know, we're not making uh, disciples of Thomas or disciples of Eric or disciples of Ben. You know, we're not looking for people to look exactly the same um, in, the, in their walk. And so with that, we are not to despise or criticize others who have faith that is either weaker or stronger than our own. And we see that in Romans 14.1. We see, uh, it says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not quarrel over opinions. We should be those who love his people and love his word and uh, quick to, uh, to defer uh, to others and to, and to love and embrace. We're all at different places in our walk. We all should strive to have strong faith as it enables us to use the full gifts that God has given us. That's Romans 12, 3. For by, grace you've been give, for the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So that is uh, the section on um, to please God, a person must have faith. Does anyone have any uh, questions or comments before we go into repentance? Uh, Thomas, I think you were first. The, these, these faiths, these varying faiths, you would say these were all faiths that God assigns us. <coughs> I would say that, I have to look at that list again, but I, I would say that they are, I think we have an original faith that God gives us to believe in him. And then I think that there is a, um, a responsibility that we have as, as Christians to work out our faith in, in fear and trembling. So at, at moments we have greater faith or, or smaller faith. Or we're growing in faith because maybe we're um, linking up with others who are, are discipling us. Uh, so I think that um, the faith that he gives us to believe in him, that never changes. That's a salvific faith. But then I think that our faith grows uh, to different measures based on um, us growing in the knowledge of him yeah. and being drawn to him, and, and we're drawn to him at different, at different rates, in different ways. So would it be fair to say, um, I, don't, I forgot the passage where it says he's given us in, uh, everything we need. Yes. Uh, anybody remember that passage? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> thinking about Second Peter, we have all yeah. things needed for life and godliness. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. So would that be included in the faith, and then we're working that out, and we see that displayed in these various faiths here? Right. I, 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 would, I would think so, because as he's given us the faith that we need to be saved, okay, and, and to be in a relationship with him, and then you see along the way, we, 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 do, we stumble, we, uh, we're, we're growing in him, and we look like we're 
more, you know, sanctified in other moments, in other moments we don't. Um, so I, I would say that that has a lot to do with um, man's responsibility um, in walking uh, with the Lord. That's how I would, that's how I would process that. Uh, does anybody want to, I know you've you got a question mark, but anyone want to jump in on that before? Just that even, you know, hopefully, yeah, none of us will know number eight, shipwreck faith. <laughs> 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 Some of the first seven, right. we'll all know. Yeah. Uh, in time, there'll be moments of great faith, moments of little faith, moments of strong faith, moments of growing faith, which is that, in a way, the variety of faith isn't so much all these different people are assigned, <laughs> but in any given moment, different people might have. It could be a moment where the Spirit just simply stirs our faith and mm -hmm. boldness to share the gospel and mm -hmm. to accomplish something for His will. And right. in other moments, to your point, which I think is what you've been saying all along, it's not so much varieties of faith in the sense of each person gets a different one, but the various seasons of faith. Right. We all may walk in from time to time. And I think ultimately, that is to glorify God. So I think that if, I'm taking some liberty here, so please correct me. So I, I believe that if, if we were saved and then we had like this super giant faith and it just wrote it out, just, I think that we probably would have a tendency to think it's us. We think, okay, I've got this. And um, I think that in the process of our faith kind of wavering at times, it causes us to rely on him more and it causes us to give glory to God more because we know that he's with us, and through those different moments, he's always there with us, and he, he kind of takes us through those different types. That's kind of the way I would process that. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. It should just, this should just never make us passive. So it is always, yes, it's, faith is certainly a gift, but there's, there's a responsibility to obey and to trust. And this is why Jesus rebuked people for not doing it. So, right. side of, you know, well, God's going to do it um, to the exclusion of obedience. We would say, no, obey. Right. And trust <laughs> and lean in and, yeah. and ask him for help. Yep. Amen. Which Amen. Is what faith is. Yep. Amen. You had a question, Mark? Well, I was just going to make a comment. I worked very closely recently with a, a man, John's his name, mm -hmm. and he was a devout Roman Catholic, and I don't mean to open up a can of worms or oh. divert this subject, but this has to do with faith. Mm -hmm. And we talked very closely. Um, felt like I was in seminary or something for six months. And we actually, interestingly, arrived at, if you've ever looked at the five solas of the Reformation, mm -hmm. um, we arrived at those without knowing them ahead of time. Then we studied them a little bit, and it, mm -hmm. it's amazing. They're right on the mark. In the process of talking with him, I realized that Roman Catholics have two types of faith, a saving faith and a sustaining faith. And when we talked about the sustaining faith after you're saved, um, we talked a lot of it. that led to topics of uh, penance and even purgatory for those who needed to pay atonement after their death, uh, before they're declared. There's a lot of things to that, okay, where they're where they're doing works to get that sustaining faith in their life. But those are two types of faith that I just took for granted. I never understood them to be that way, separated like this, one at the cross and the rest for the rest of their life. And you hear that even in Protestant churches, and it just didn't occur to me that there's some sort of difference. Um, 
it's all, I was always taught that everything Christ did on the cross, mm -hmm. his sacrifice was all sufficient mm -hmm. for past, present, and future sins. Mm -hmm. And we don't boast in our own works. Mm -hmm. but, there, but I think it's important to understand that there are Christians that refer to two types. Um, and I think the sustained faith, in my personal opinion, kind of makes a mockery of what Christ did because it's, it's basically saying, you didn't do it all. I have to be part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let me let me grab onto a little bit, but yeah, that's really right. Yes, so I think a distinction between uh, the Roman Catholic Church and let's just just say just in a Broadway Protestant. All of, right. Okay, so um, you talk about the five solas. So sola fide, faith alone. We would say that we are saved and justified by faith alone, like you just mentioned the finished work of Christ on the cross was sufficient and all sufficient for our salvation. As I understand it, the Roman Catholic Church would say, faith is important, but it's not alone. And they would probably go to James um, and have that debate about that. And then when they go to James, I go to, I go to James also, and also Genesis 5. I mean, I mean Genesis 15, uh, 15, 6, where we see Abraham believed in a, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So, I think there is an important distinction between the faith that we believe in and hold on to that is sufficient for salvation entirely, sola fide, justification by faith alone. And they would say, yes, faith is important, but they would say faith uh, plus. Um, and, 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 then, and then I think when they get into purgatory and some of those those doctrines, it demonstrates that there's something else that needs to happen that needs to occur. I think when we're talking about the varieties of faith that we're talking about here, we're talking about, yes, there is a salvific faith that we have that the thief on the cross experienced and we experienced too. And so we will be in glory with our Savior. Yes and amen. But then the other faith we're talking about has to do with our walk in this world not that we ever lose a faith that would be necessary for salvation. It is that the faith that changes from time to time is a faith that demonstrates itself in how we walk this out. When, you know, I am uh, at work and I'm in a meeting and I'm like, this is, meeting is not going well and this is just bad and I just have no faith at all. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not having a doubt in my salvation I'm having a doubt that Christ will help me in this work situation. You know, so I, so I think that there's a distinction between when we have a wavering faith, it's not a wavering faith regarding our salvation. Now, some people, some Christians may have a, a doubt about their salvation, but even those who doubt their salvation, if they're truly saved, there is that small enough faith that is enough for salvation. I know that's a very long answer. Does, any, does anybody, does anybody want to, no? Okay. Does that, does that help at all, Mark? No. Okay. 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 All right. So our next section here is repentance, and I'm going to do this in three minutes. All right. So repentance is very important, and it is necessary uh, in having our sins forgiven. Uh, we see that in Acts 2, 38. And we have a nature of repentance that is important, and I'll touch on that briefly. 
In the Old Testament, there are a number of ways to, the word repentance is used. The one that is most uh, important for uh, this conversation is uh, the one that has the connotation that was mentioned earlier, the one turning away from, right? And so we see these examples of repentance um, in Isaiah 30, 15, a new trust in the Lord. We see it in Jeremiah 34, 15, a clear desire for obedience. And then we see in Genesis 39, 7 through 9, a clear distaste for ungodliness. So given the time that we have, let's just look at the Genesis passage in this section. If someone has Genesis 39, 7 through 9, let's look at that. Because that is a really clear example of uh, a distaste for ungodliness. And if someone has that, it's Genesis 39, 7 through 9. What I like about this passage is you have Joseph and he considers the impact of this sin not only uh, on the people around him, on the people that he was working for or serving, but also his God that he served. And so he had a distaste in his mouth for sin. He was, he was, it, it was so appalling to him that he and he expressed all those various levels of, of, of impact. And so I think that um, in various ways as Christians, we experience that as well. When we are confronted with sin, we also have an unta- a, a, a distaste for ungodliness. Uh, let's look at the elements of repentance uh, here briefly. They are a sense of shame, humbling, Sorrow, regret, I just mentioned distaste for sin, um, and recognition of the pardon uh, of God. Uh, So these are important to understand and and grasp because within repentance, there is a sense of of shame of what we have done that has broken fellowship with, with God and our neighbor and, you know, those who are in Christ or not, or not in Christ. I mean, we can sin against people who, you know, if we're not, not saved, of course. I mean, so there's a sense of shame. There's a, a, there's, there's a humbling. Um, no one in Christ is going to be proud of, of their sin. Um, and then there's sorrow and regret. I mean, you know, just think about uh, the destruction that sin, sin causes. And then there's a distaste for that, that sin um, and, and not wanting to, uh, to, to live in that. And then there's a recognition of the pardon of God. There's a recognition that, and it's freeing to know that Christ has redeemed and forgiven us. And then signs of repentance. We look at earnestness, uh, eagerness to clear themselves, and indignation. I mean, you know, with, with an earnestness, we, we know that once we have um, repented, um, that we can 
make things right, not only with God, but with others, uh, which kind of goes into number two there, eagerness to clear themselves. I've had instances in, in, in my life when I've had opportunity to go back and to ask someone to forgive me for wrongs that I have done to them. And, um, you know, not being in, uh, in Christ, you know, no one's really eager to, to, to do that. And, and I, so I would just submit to you that um, an eagerness to clear ourselves is an indication that, um, that we're, we, we belong to him. I often think about, you know, you hear about people in the, in the media and such that, you know, they're, they're caught in a, a scandal or, so, or even not in the media. If someone is caught in a sin, okay, are they repenting because they've been caught? Are they, are they sorrowful because they've been caught? Or um, is there true sorrow? And what I would submit to you is, is that the Christian who is uh, sinning or contemplating sinning wants to reconcile before they're caught. As a matter of they want to they, they want to make things right. They know that it's wrong. They feel the weight of that, and they can't rest in that because the Holy Spirit won't allow them to rest in that. And so there's a there's an eagerness to to clear ourselves and to keep ourselves in that right fellowship and relationship. We are at our time I hope, I'm quite sure I did not do repentance justice. I do have the notes. Uh, if someone wants those, I can certainly get those to you. Uh, this, we do have maybe time for maybe one or two questions, maybe. Does anyone have any questions or additional thought? All right. Uh, uh, maybe, Eric, uh, would you like to uh, close us in prayer? Father, we pray that uh, your word this morning and, and Merck's teaching would encourage us in this coming week. Lord, that we would exercise faith by trusting you. Lord, we would take what we know is true from your word and we would live on it. We would act on it. So, Father, when we do sin, Father, we pray that we would quickly repent, that we would, we would by your grace, uh, turn back to you and then walk in obedience. Lord, we need your help. Help us as a church to encourage one another, Lord, to, to help one another, to, to trust you and to Pray now as we go in to hear your word, Father, you be with our brother Matt. Lord, you bless the worship service. God, give glory to yourself, and Lord, give us grace to worship you and to delight in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eric. Thank you.